the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, The Hope and the Helper. That's The Hope and the Helper, and you can find it online at ReachingYourHeart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Thank you for joining us today. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with his message entitled, The Hope and the Helper. Dear Father God, as I bow my head, I want to thank you for Jesus Christ. I want to thank you that in him there is life. In Christ, no matter what's going on in the world, there is an answer to the suffering of humanity. And Father, I pray today you be with us and guide us. May you live in the word of God and give us Jesus in his name. Amen. The Drudge Report carried the headline, Biblical Damage. When I think of biblical damage, I think of the seven last plagues. And this phrase was coined by Hillary Clinton as she was comparing what happened in the country of Haiti to the Asian tsunami that shook the world. What has happened in the country of Haiti is something that is monumental and memory-making. And if you are planning on peace and security in your lifetime, if you're planning on a predictable future, dear heart, There is nothing predictable in this world. 40,000 people are confirmed dead and over 200,000 people may have been killed in this earthquake. And the Bible says that as we near the end, the birth pangs will intensify. We can expect more of what we have seen this week. Gangs are fighting for food in the streets with machetes and clubs. Children are lost in the streets without their parents, sleeping beside piles of bodies in search for their home. Homes are broken down and everything inside is lost. Haiti is a mini end of the world. How many of you have watched the news this week? Kind of sense this is what it's going to be like as we near the end during the seven last plagues. Did you sense something like that? I did too. Now, if you want to have a picture of end time destruction, you don't need to look far. You can go right to the news blogs and those pictures of Haiti, they are a foretaste of what is coming on this world before Jesus returns. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has rightly said that the biblical damage in Haiti is of a scale comparable to the destruction of the 2004 Asian tsunami. Now, whenever a natural catastrophe like this arises, there's always someone out there who is a self-appointed prophet of purpose who likes to explain why the catastrophe arose. And this last week, Pat Robertson quickly interpreted the earthquake as a judgment of God on the Haitian people. How many of you saw that news clip? I mean, it was an amazing thing. He said, they have been cursed. And because they swore a pact with the devil, these are his words, to gain independence from France, there's really no hope for this nation. Danny Glover was one of the voices. He believes the earthquake was caused by global warming and the failure of the Copenhagen summit to reach a climate treaty. If only they'd reached the climate treaty, the earthquake perhaps would not have happened in Haiti. You know, if we're a little greener, the earthquake would not have happened. That's what he was saying. 
Now, why these self-appointed experts argue about why it happened, the funeral pyres grow red hot as the smoke of burning tires and dead bodies pollute the air that is everywhere. The stench, the screams, the horror of Haiti is our common cause. It's not their problem if we take Jesus' advice seriously. It is our common problem. Some say, well, Haiti couldn't happen here. Remember Katrina? Listen, we could have a Katrina if a super tsunami were to hit the coast of the United States. It could happen here. But because we are all brothers and sisters, Haiti has happened here in a way. In a world where men and women are so sure they can save themselves, Haiti is a cruel reminder that the only God that can save us, the only one that can intervene, is the God who gave Himself for us at the cross. Haiti is a wake-up call for a final generation to quit planning their dreams based on human effort, human achievements, but to plan it based on God's salvation. Dear heart, God is the hope and God is the helper for the person who has no hope in time of trouble. And God is with His people in Haiti. Psalms 146 verse 1, the Bible says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have been. The ancient writer of this psalm was no doubt a man who was acquainted with grief. He was a person who had a good deal of trouble in his life and he had learned to deal with trouble by finding God's presence and God's peace in his life. When everyone fails you, when trouble comes close to you, the Christian has a resource that the person in the world does not have because the Christian has discovered that God's presence is the source of his strength. For the believer, God is not an existential shot in the dark that makes no sense. God is not some philosophical outlet to explain the night away and then leave the soul alone in darkness. God does not work that way. Dear heart, faith in God is not a call to interpret life with a cynicism, a stoical sternness that gets you through it. No, faith in God is a call to take the hand of the one who holds you. And when you take the hand of the one who holds you, you find there's joy in the journey. The psalmist starts with the truth that every believer can bank on deep inside. When you feel put down, when you feel that your soul is heavy and every part of you seems hard to handle, and you feel the dish that has been dosed out to you is larger than you, and you can't handle it, the soul must choose its reason for life in the midst of trouble. If the Lord is with you, dear heart, then you have a right to sing a song of praise in the midst of your challenges. You have a right to an attitude that is not based on your feelings. And you have a hope that is certain in spite of what you see. So the psalmist starts with a command that is repeated twice. And it is a self-command. He says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. You know, there are times in life you have to tell yourself what to do. Have you ever had a time like that? You know, you knew you had to do something. You said, Mike, do it. Go for it. Mike, live up to this. Strengthen yourself. Be of sound courage. Have you ever given yourself self-talk like this? Yes or no? Well, good. Some of you have. The rest of you don't talk to yourselves. You don't need psychologists, right? There are times in life you have to talk to yourself and tell yourself what you have to do. For the Christian, spiritual attitudes are shaped by choices, not by feelings. And your choices are reinforced by what you say to yourself. 
So faith is the action of the will and the mouth working with the mind when feelings fail you. There are times in life when the soul has to be instructed by your own mouth what to do because negative feelings are overtaking your mind. And so you have to say what you want your thoughts to be. In verse 1, the psalmist does not say, praise the Lord, everybody else. He does not say, praise the Lord, O congregation of Israel. He does not say, praise the Lord, mighty men of God. He says, praise the Lord, my soul. You hear the difference? Praise the Lord, my soul. And when you face trouble that you can't handle, you need to tell yourself what you need to do in faith. You have a choice to make in life. And the command in verse 1 is self-instruction. Praise the Lord, my soul. Now, there's no real song in life unless there is a good reason for the music you sing. For the believer, life is not existence. Life is not just getting through the mess that you have. For the believer, life is the journey of fellowship, praising the one who gave you life. And if there is no God who cares about you in life, then your song is an empty tune that makes no sense and has no real melody to it. But if there is a God, and you know that God, and you have found Him to be mercy in your life, your life has a right to sing a song of praise. Psalms 146, verse 2. Let's look at the verse together. And so the psalmist says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have been. The Hebrew says literally, praise the Lord with my life. That's what it says in the original language. Or praise the Lord in my life. Life matters for the Christian because life is praising the Lord. Life is the opportunity to respond to the God who gave you life. Life is the song that starts when you find God and when you discover that you were put here on this planet to give glory to God. You're not here just to get along. You're not here just to coast through and exist. Dear heart, God has placed you here with the gift of life that you might know the living God. And you cannot separate your life and His life if you want to have a meaningful life. You know, some people say, well, you know, I'm having so much trouble, I just can't get through these difficulties. And they spend no time with God in prayer. They say, well, life for me is meaningless and hard, but they spend no time feeding on God's Word. Dear heart, if you want a meaningful life, you must come to the one who has life. The book of Daniel calls the living Word of God that comes from Jesus the daily, the hatamid. Christ said, give us this day our daily bread. You cannot live without Jesus Christ and there can be no song in your life unless it is motivated and lifted by Jesus Christ on eagle's wings. Dear heart, you may not be able to sing, but you can praise the Lord with your life. You may not be able to preach, but you can praise the Lord with your life. And you may not be a thought leader or theologian, but you can follow God you can make a difference by Christian effort and you can praise the Lord with your life and God would rather have an active Christian than a contemplative Christian. You can praise the Lord with your life. We're all accountable in life to the God who gave us life. It's a fact that sooner or later a wise heart comes to ponder. And this week a jury summons was given to a resident of East Boston and made national news. I always dread a jury summons. You ever had a jury summons? You know, get in the mail? You better show up or else kind of thing. It's your duty, but in case you don't do your duty, uh, there's teeth in the summons. I don't like going to jury duty because I don't like sitting in a jury box deciding someone else's fate. Do you? 
Some of you are nodding your head. You do. Okay. I don't want to be around you. If I have to go to court. The letter came from Sal to show in court for the jury duty. Sal got the jury summons. Now Sal is a cat. And Sal's owner was shocked and amazed when the summons came in the mail. The mix-up happened when the census was taken the previous year. For some reason, the census had a line for the family dog. The owner scratched out the line for dog and wrote cat. Then the owner wrote the name for the cat, Sal Esposito. The owner filed for Sal to be disqualified for jury duty because Sal is a cat, but the request was denied by the court. So the order is binding for Sal, the cat. Sal has to show up for jury duty or face the prospect of finer prosecution. Sal's date in Suffolk County Court is set for March 23. If the issue is not resolved, the cat is headed for court. I'd like to be there on March 23, wouldn't you? I'd like to see what happens when that cat shows up for jury duty. You know, every one of us has a summons at the end of time to appear in court. It's true. The summons is found, in fact, in the first angel's message of Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. Let's read it together. Then I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven with an everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of water. Verse 7 says, The hour of God's judgment has come. Now the Greek is what they call an inceptive or aggressive aorist tense. And it should be translated this way. The hour of God's judgment has begun. The hour of God's judgment has started. And that message was proclaimed at the end of the Middle Ages by Christians all over the world as the great church-state system of the Middle Ages came down, fulfilling Bible prophecy. Hearts were awakened to the sense that Jesus is coming. And the call to court is an end-time call for believers and non-believers that one day we must stand before the judgment bar of God and we must give an account for what we have done. But dear heart, there's no way you can stand in the rags of your righteousness before the judgment bar of God. If you inspect your life honestly, you will find there's good and bad in your life. And there's not enough good to make you righteous before God. And there's just enough bad to condemn you. And so if you stand before the judgment bar of God, based on the rags of your righteousness, you will be lost. Did you hear me? And so the Bible says, the hour of God's judgment has come. And in that same context, he says this angel flies in mid-heaven with an everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. You see, we cannot stand before God without accepting the truth of that eternal good news. The gospel teaches you that the one who made you saved you. The gospel teaches you that the one who formed you can recreate you. The one who gave you life gave his life for you. The one who has the call to righteousness, has met the need of that righteousness by living a perfect life that takes the place of your life. Christ is the great exchange. God gave Jesus because you could not give enough of yourself to atone for what you have done. The everlasting gospel is our ticket out of here and our hope for the judgment day. God's Son was delivered over so you can live. The final generation does not have another gospel that is better than the one that was preached in the first century. You know, some people think that there'll be a final generation 
that will live a more righteous life than St. Paul did. Or a more righteous life than the martyrs who died in the Middle Ages. And that they will somehow vindicate God and do what Christ didn't do. Win the great controversy between Christ and Satan. This is foolish theology. Dear heart, no end time generation will improve on what Jesus Christ did for you. No end time generation can add to the grace of God that was poured into the human race in Christ at the cross and manifested in the acceptance of God in the resurrection. There is not such a thing as another gospel for the final generation. The everlasting gospel is an old gospel. It's a tried and true gospel. It's a gospel that is good news. And it's not adapting news or changing news. It's the same news that saved Peter when he denied Jesus. It's the same news that lifted Paul up after he had helped to kill Stephen. It's the same news that those blessed saints of ancient times turned to God with. It is the everlasting gospel. And you cannot stand in the judgment day. You cannot make it at the end of time without the everlasting gospel. The Bible says, fear God... And give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment has come, meaning it has begun. Glory is another word for praise. Worship God with your whole life. Praise God. Praise the Lord with your whole life and give Him praise. As long as you have life in you, praise the Lord. You know, some people say, well, what do you do once you become a believer? If you believe deep inside that you have been forgiven, if you believe deep inside that Christ died for you, then don't you have a strong motivation to live for God? Yes or no? And it's not fear-based stuff. It's not God standing with a stick over your head to motivate you to get to heaven. Dear heart, it's the kind of stuff that is real worship. It's a loving faith response to a God who has found you in your utter need. And when I hear people get up and they act pious and righteous... And they tell people they better get their act together and be holy enough to be accepted by God at the end of time. I know those people know nothing of the gospel of Christ. None of us have within us a worth or a success that is able to commend us to God in the judgment day. And so this angel flies in mid-heaven saying to a world that cannot save itself, there is everlasting good news. Fear God and give glory to Him. The hour of His judgment has come. God has provided a righteousness for you that you could not provide for yourself. And in Christ, there is hope for you. In Christ, there is a future for you. You cannot have faith in Christ, though, if your faith is focused on someone else or yourself. And so the more you try to be holy, the less holy you become. The more you try to show God how good you are, the less good you become. For you to be saved, dear heart, you must look away from self and look to Jesus Christ who is your Savior. God is the only one who is able to carry and to protect the life that is in trouble. Psalms 146 verse 3, Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. When His breath departs, He returns to His earth, and on that very day His plans perish. Now, the word translated help here is the Hebrew word for salvation. Verse 3 tells us that we are not to base our salvation on any person in this world. In fact, verse 3 says, put not your trust in princes. I did a little word study this week, and the Hebrew word for prince is noble, and it describes someone who is noble in character with a willing disposition. It means a good person. The Bible says... That you are not to put your faith in good people for your salvation deliverance. Your preacher, 
You're a priest, the Pope, the President, the Prelate may be good people. But as soon as you make them your Savior, it isn't good for you anymore. Bible religion is personal religion where you get on your knees and you pray to God and God saves you. And if you don't do that, you don't get saved. You don't stay saved if you aren't on your knees relying on God as your personal righteousness. Verse 3 says, we are not to trust in a son of man. Now the son of God is not a son of man. The son of God is the son of man. And the Son of Man is the only deliverer for God's people in the judgment day. He's the only one who comes to God in the judgment day with the power to deliver God's people who claims them for the kingdom at the marriage of the Lamb. John 5.26 For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. The Christian can survive the judgment day only if he is in Jesus Christ. Dear heart, if you're not in Christ, you don't have a chance of making it through the judgment. But if you are in Jesus by faith, if you have claimed Jesus by faith in your weakness, you will most certainly make it through the judgment. Jesus hung on that cross. He was hanging on your cross, not His. And when Christ stands before the judgment bar of God, according to the book of Daniel, He has already entered into the most holy place before the second coming to receive His kingdom. As Christ stands before the judgment bar during the hour of God's judgment, dear heart, He stands for you if you have appealed to Him in faith. If you have confessed your sins and you have called on His righteousness, He stands in your place in that proxy judgment. Christ taught this truth quite plainly. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, that person has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There is a judgment for believers in heaven before the second coming, but he doesn't have to go to that judgment. He has passed from judgment unto life. So who goes to that judgment in his behalf? Now we know there is a season for the judgment of the righteous dead. Revelation eleven eighteen, The nations raged, but thy wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged for rewarding thy servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear thy name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. It's very clear in this verse, there's an end time judgment of the righteous dead and the righteous living. And the text says, the time for the righteous dead came to be judged. The Greek word for time is kairos, and it means a season of time. It doesn't here mean the day of the Lord has come at the end of time suddenly. It doesn't mean that at all. It means a period of time set apart at the end of time for judging the righteous dead. That period of time has come before the end of all things. It's a season of time that is the hour of God's judgment. Dear heart, we are living during that time. We are living during the antitypical day of atonement which is the hour of God's judgment, when God has called the Christian church back to the Bible and to Jesus Christ, when God has called men and women to place their faith in Jesus Christ alone. The book of Daniel teaches that this judgment is not a bad thing for the believer. It's a good thing for the believer. How many of you when you're growing up attended an evangelistic meeting where somebody got up and scared the wits out of you by talking about the judgment? Raise your hand high. Okay, what was scary, was it not? Because they offered no hope for the judgment, right? It's all about judgment. About what you better do 
but not about Jesus. That's the wrong kind of preaching. It's the wrong kind of teaching. In the first angel's message, the hour of God's judgment has come. And then we hear a lot about God, and we hear a lot about the everlasting gospel. Without the everlasting gospel, you have no right to preach about the judgment. Thanks for listening today. If this message is ministered to you, remember there are many more just like it at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast, or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon, and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts, and you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. Spiritualism, in a variety of forms, is making its way through the Western world. The afterlife, the spirit world, and spirit mediums can be found in movies, best-selling books, and popular TV programs. These themes are making their way into our children's entertainment, even. We have this free book to help you understand things a little bit better, entitled Dark Tunnels or Bright Lights. This book candidly reveals biblical truth about this subject and pulls the curtain aside to reveal why there is so much interest in this topic. The book reveals the deceptions of spiritualism based on biblical teachings so that you can confidently discern truth from error as the topic continues to gain momentum across all levels of society. Now, this book is absolutely free. You can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.